0: Hi, Honestly listeners, Barry here with some amazing news. Many of you have been asking when you'll be able to watch the sold out debate we hosted in Los Angeles a few weeks ago. You know, the one we've been talking about, the one where we finally and definitively answer the question of whether the sexual revolution failed. The great news is that you can finally watch it for yourself. All you have to do is become a free press subscriber for $8. It's less than the price of a decent sandwich. You get to support all of our journalism and, of course, this show. We're releasing the film of the debate this week for free press subscribers, and you are going to love it, and not just because of Grime's unforgettable outfit. So head over to thefp.com forward slash debate and become a subscriber to the free press today. Okay, on to the show. I'm Barry Weiss, and this is Honestly. Two weeks ago, I was in Austin for the Texas Tribune Festival, where I interviewed America's best-known Democratic political consultant.
1: He is so yesterday, if I think of yesterday, if I think of an old calendar, I think of George Bush's face on it.
0: James Carville. You've probably heard of Carville. He's been on the scene for a very long time. He's almost 80 and has worked on countless campaigns. Somebody who's been through a lot of tough elections. James Carville is known as the raisin Cajun in the business. But his most prominent victory was Bill Clinton's improbable run for the presidency in 1992, which was captured in the incredible documentary, War Room.
1: It's about George Bush and Roger Ailes, and Georgette Mossbacher and the whole sleazy little cabal of them that want to keep hold of anything and that want to knock anybody off that we believe in and anything that we care about. And if we beat them,
0: and you're Some out people there, I know watch Notting the- Hill as a comfort movie. For me, it's War Room, which tells you a lot about who I am.
1: Because if they knock us off, then so what? The next one that comes up, they're going to knock the next one off, and the next one, and everything else. And you know what kind of shit you're going to get you? you get the kind
0: of- So you can imagine my excitement when I went to meet Carville backstage before the interview and noticed that he was wearing the exact same purple, gold, and green LSU-striped polo that he wears throughout War Room. I laughed because it's pretty ridiculous to show up wearing a 30-year-old shirt, and I'm pretty convinced it was the same one. But really, it was also fitting and symbolic. A whole lot has changed in American politics over the last 30 years. But Carville's style, blunt, unconventional, often right has not.
1: The Western far left is habitually the most stupid, naive people you can imagine.
0: The people closest to Carville have other ways of describing the political icon.
1: Political consultant James Carville, who was Bill Clinton's top campaign strategist, is, quote, a pathetic and stupid country bumpkin. (laughs) His former
0: business partner, Paul Begala, has said that James lives in a border town between genius and madness. His wife has said simply, he really is a nut. Speaking of his wife, Carville's famous for a lot of things. He coined the phrase,
1: it's the economy, stupid.
0: But perhaps what he's most well known for is his marriage to Mary Madeline.
1: They presume and they accuse conservatives of racism, and they rush to judgment and they.
0: <laughs> a Republican Party political consultant who served under Reagan and was campaign director for George H. W. Bush. I'm sorry.
1: Despicable attitude, and then they want to have a national dialogue. I'm not having this conversation with him, John. I'm sorry, but I conversation. I'm sorry, but the person.
0: When he married Mary in 1993. The press called it a stunt marriage and speculated it would end soon after. But three decades later, Carville and Matlin have proven them wrong. What's the number one thing you fight about?
1: The air conditioning house.
0: We don't really fight. We're not good fighters. We're kind of pout or passive-aggressive, and I think the reason for that— At a time where most single people indicate their partisan preferences right next to their height requirements on dating apps, Carville's high-profile bipartisan marriage is a pretty rare thing to witness. And like his striped LSU shirt, it says a lot about who he is and what he truly values. Our conversation was a blast, and in large part, that's just because James Carville is an incredible talker. He comes up with these phrases I've never heard of. Some of them are maybe Southern. Others are just incredibly funny. But it was also fun because of the people in the room that day in Austin. I want you to picture an auditorium crammed, standing room only, with about 300 Rachel Maddow diehards. This room hissed when I mentioned RFK Jr., They booed before I could even get Joe Manchin's full name out of my mouth. When I asked if anyone in the room identified as a conservative or even a libertarian, only one hand went up and it belonged to a free press staffer. All of which is to say it made the interview more contentious than it would otherwise have been, and that made it more fun. Today you'll hear James Carville and I talk about 2024, whether or not he thinks Joe Biden is too old to run again, why he thinks Kamala Harris has been given unfair treatment in the press, I disagree, the direction of the Democratic Party, why he thinks wokeness is over, I also disagree, and of course, little things like Trump, his indictments, and the future of America. We'll be right back. I don't know about you, but I'm always searching. Searching for new restaurants in my neighborhood, searching for better jeans, searching for better hypoallergenic detergents. Okay, that last one might just be me. But I search everywhere, on Google, Instagram, Twitter, Resi, all of it. But when you're hiring for your business, as I have learned, the best way to search is to not search at all. Don't search, match. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. Ditch the busy work and the endless scrolling, and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. A recent survey showed that 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Indeed's matching engine constantly learns from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash honestly. Just go to indeed.com slash honestly right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash honestly. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know about you, but I'm always searching, searching for new restaurants in my neighborhood, searching for better clothes, searching for better clogs. Okay, that last one might just be me. But I search everywhere on Google, Instagram, Twitter, Rezzy, you name it. But when you're hiring for your business, the best way to search is not to search at all. Don't search match. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform. Ditch the busy work and the endless scrolling and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. A recent survey showed that 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Indeed's matching engine constantly learns from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com honestly. Just go to Indeed.com honestly right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com honestly. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. James Carville, really happy to have
1: you here. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you. It's a I love doing this event. I get to see so many people and, you know, and I, I love Austin, so it, it's great all the way around. And, you know, if you're really, the community is really fortunate to have something like the Texas Tribune and that puts on events like this. This is a, a nice deal thing. You know, plus, you know, you know you, uh, you're on the board of some college, you were telling me, and I think there's a college down the street here. <laughs> you, you know, honestly, I, I love college. The best four years of my life was spent as a sophomore at LSU. I mean, <laughs>
0: Okay, let's get right into it. I want to read you part of a speech that the president gave about a week ago in Vietnam. The Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union soldier and says, he's a lying, dog-faced pony soldier. Well, that's a lot of lying, dog-faced pony soldiers out there about global warming. Remember the famous song, Good Morning, Vietnam? I could go on with examples, but I'll give you just a few more. On September 11th, the president claimed that he was at the World Trade Center the day of the attacks. He was not. Last month, he claimed to have witnessed the bridge collapse in my hometown of Pittsburgh in 2022. He didn't. In another speech recently, he claimed that his grandfather had died just days prior to his own birth at the same hospital, which never happened. I could go on. So a Wall Street Journal poll taken last month found that 73% of voters said that Biden is simply too old to run for re-election. Do you agree? Is Biden too old to be president, and is he certainly too old to be president, again, in your view?
1: So let me make a macro statement, and I'll answer your question. I checked this morning. According to the clock at the Census Bureau, there are 333,495,611 people currently living in the United States. I think we could find two under 75 to run for president. (laughs) That's my general view. Look, I think there's a lot of things that I would culturally do like about Biden. He's tenacious. He's been in politics. He's been beat up. He's survived. He's come back. He's a state school guy. But deep down inside, I I wish he wouldn't do this. I, I just feel like the country is just busting at the seams to get a new generation in there. And I mean, I can't do anything about the other guy, but I do think that different times in a country's history where it just goes through periods, and I do think that right now this country is the period where, and I'll say this to somebody who's going to be 79 in about a month from now, sometimes you've got to give other people a shot at this, and people see the Democratic Party, and they think we're open. The truth of the matter is we got talent just screaming all over this party, and I'd like to see some of it get out and get showcased.
0: I think a lot of us imagined when we were younger this idea of, you know, the smoke-filled rooms, the party machine sort of stepping in and making decisions. One of the things I think a lot of us maybe naively have sort of been confronted with is the idea that no such machine exists, that the party is simply voters but are there people around Biden trying to get him to step aside
1: well I'm not I think that what President Biden has been in politics for a long time I think he has employees. place I don't know how many actual peers he has sometimes people have been in politics they have friends they said look do this you can't do that and the people that have been around him the longest I know are very close friends of mine I mean I don't talk to them that much anymore Mike Dodlin you look at the war room, he was right by my side in the 92 campaign. We worked together and started 1986 in Pennsylvania for Governor Casey. But they work for him. And, you know, it's like he comes in and says, this is what we're going to do, and they go do it. And I think that they think, I mean, I'm, I'm, what they say is, look, if you give where the economy is and look at all the stuff we've got done, I think by any standard measure, we deserve re-election. And i, I If it was 60, I would agree with that totally. But uh, my own sense is that it's just one of these periods in the United States where people are looking for something different. And I think that Biden the Trump, if we broke, if somebody gave people an actual vote, I think we'd do much better. But uh, to be fair, there's no evidence that he's thinking about not running. And there's no evidence that someone is thinking about getting in. You know, I've led most of my political life saying what I think, and I'm probably not going to stop now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so unless something dramatic changes, we're looking at Trump v. Biden a kind of rematch from hell in a little under 14 months from now. And many people believe that this is sort of set in stone. We talked recently to Liz Smith, a Democratic strategist, right, yeah. and she said these parlor games are fun for some people to play, but Joe Biden is going to be the presidential nominee, full stop. Let's indulge, though, in a little bit of parlor games, if we wouldn't mind. Like, is there anything that could upset what feels like a fair accompli?
1: I, I don't know, and I, I, I really like Liz. I, I think she's she's really smart. I think she's one of the really, i call her up-and-comers, I guess she, she's... Highly respected. And a lot of people say, What are you doing? This is decided, you know, fall in. And I probably will have to. But let me tell you, if this election were held, and and to be very frank, I think if Trump were reelected, it'd be catastrophic. I think it'd be the end of the Constitution. Okay? And I don't think they're very, and they're telling you that. All right, so we've been, the Constitution, I think, we've been living on, like March the 4th, 1789, and, you know, we've had a pretty good run. So we're not looking at somebody, we're not looking at Mitt Romney or, or, you know, George H.W. Bush or, or Eisenhower. We're looking at a corrupt, treasonous guy that would ruin the country, so, but, but, if we said the election was this November, let me just give you a, a hypothetical, just to be fair. the election was this November, I know it's not. You don't have to remind me. And the candidates for Joe Biden, the Democrat, Donald Trump, the Republican, uh, Joe Manchin, no labels, and Cornell West, Green Party, Biden would be an underdog. Okay, he would be an underdog. would be an underdog that you would have a catastrophic event in American history of the first order. And they're already saying, I'm, I'm going to get rid of everybody. I'm going to get rid of civil service. We're going to get rid of an independent judiciary. We're going to get rid of everything. And they're telling you. They're not hiding it from you. You know, and People say, well, James, Biden's going to probably win if you get him and Trump. And you look at, you know, so you go to the doctor that says, we're going to form this test. You're probably going to be okay. For 60% chance it's fine. But there's a 40% chance you're going to be paralyzed. You know, what you're going to say, "Shit, no, get out of here get away from me with that and that's the way that this thing feels like to me anything that we can do to lessen the chance for our own remaining time and our children's remaining time or whatever we have a constitution because that's that's really what's that's what we're talking about we're not, we shouldn't kid ourselves and sugarcoat this and you know we are two great parties and two traditions and americans come together and the tradition of, you know, going in a parson buggy and driving 20 miles and canceling each other's vote. And, you know, the other thing, you hear these assholes like the Cosmos Club, and they're all around Washington, they go, ah, but it's uh, institutions and the rule of law, <laughs> <laughs> uh, democracy, and shit, if you don't give people a choice they want, that's the first role of a democracy of a strong democracy, you give people a choice that at least some people are excited about. And if you look at the polls, it's a, I'm just telling you what the polls say, and it, I'll say it, it never changes. Somewhere between 72 and 77% don't want this charge. I'm, I am going to just give you a consensus number of 75, between 72, 77, 75, 74 and a half, I don't care. But they keep telling you this over and over and over again. So that's the way I feel, Barry. I feel like this would be catastrophic. And if you look at what's going on, there's some chance this guy could win this election if we don't play this really smart.
0: So if those are the stakes, and you look at people who clearly want to run for president at some point, whether it's Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, Josh Shapiro, the governor in Pennsylvania, why aren't they doing it?
1: You know, first of all, and this sounds weird, but people really like President Biden. Okay? It, it, I know it sounds like if you want a friend, buy a dog. And I, I know all that's true <laughs> uh, to somebody said. And, you know, Democrats, and I'm one myself, that's kind of mean. You, you really shouldn't do that. He's older. He's been president. You know, you got to let him decide on his own terms. And I, You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I do know this, that the state of talent in the Democratic Party right now, right now, is this high level of talent I've seen in any political party. I was doing a Bill Christopher's podcast, he's here, and I said, you know, the 80 Republican field had all the experience. I mean, that was Reagan and Dole and Bush and I forgot it all. But this, in terms of just raw political talent, the modern Democratic Party is full of it. Now, you, won't, you wouldn't know it. Because it's like watching Secretariat in the barn. Every horse looks the same in the barn. You got to get it on the goddamn track to see what it can do. (laughs) But there's, trust me, there's real, real, and it's not Bobby Kennedy, by the way.
0: (laughs) Well, let's talk about Kennedy, actually, for a minute.
1: No, we have to. Go ahead. Why not? How
0: do you explain his poll numbers?
1: Because he's not Biden. Okay? If somebody's like something and they say, this system doesn't hear me, and it was like Eugene McCarthy against Lyndon Johnson. He was a kind of halfway. He was a senator of Minnesota, but he looked like he was kind of got to go in the corner and read a book before he like... And he got 42%. No one pays attention to Bobby Kennedy's crazy things he says or does. Some somebody well, he's a Kennedy. He must be okay. You know, I remember them. And But to be generous,
0: to give him the the most generous read, isn't the reason that Kennedy is resonating because he is picking up on so many of the themes that, frankly, Democrats don't talk about anymore? The power of big tech, for example, in people's lives, the dignity of the working class, things that I thought growing up were mainstays of the Democratic Party that, frankly, they're not talking about as much anymore.
1: Well, look, the the Democratic Party has kind of changed and become more educated we probably elite. lost a little of that. But, I, I, you know, in terms of the tech stuff, I, I, what did Trump do about the tech business when he was president? Nothing. I don't know what you can do. I, I think the I think it's, it's a fair thing to say that Democrats have sort of lost their connection with, with working people. Biden is the last thing but a kind of coastal guy. I mean, you, you couldn't explain to him what all this stuff was. I mean, he's his regular a guy as, as you can think. But that's so not who the people that vote in the party are. And that's why I'd like to see a bunch of these new candidates out there and people seeing what they had to say.
0: Who are you most excited about uh, on, to, on that right, bench? Right.
1: So just sound, I'm excited about whoever Democrats pick. I'd like to see seven people running on a stage that had ideas and had energy that could string a sentence together. And then y'all decide who the hell you like. But give somebody a choice. Well, you know, she makes sense. He makes sense. I like that. But People think of, and I know this, when you go talk to people around the country, what do you think of the Democratic Party? They think we're an urban old party, that we are there for people in the cities and all of our leadership is old. That's not true, but you have to put people out there and start talking about things where you will change people's minds because the Republicans— we'll tell you all and over again. It's just, they're old, slobbering, just they care about people not like you and the cities and, and that kind of stuff. And good candidates will give you sharp definition, will give you concise messaging, will do things that good candidates can do. And that's why we need this.
0: The name you hear a lot among sort of centrist Democrats and never Trump Republicans these days is Joe Manchin. And there's this kind of fantasy that Joe Manchin, I'm just, oh, okay.
1: No, I mean, no, Wow, I am, first of all, people tell, say, what is it like to be a moderate Democrat? And I have no idea because I'm a liberal Democrat. Okay? I'm pretty liberal. But, but Manchin is not. Are you with yeah, the crowd on that? I like Senator Sinter- Manchin. Like if, if you look, and you know, I'm not going to like argue this, if you look at the votes that he's been keyhole, judges, Bill better, all of the different stuff. And a Democrat has not carried a county in West Virginia since 2008. And so you have all of these people that don't have to run in West Virginia criticizing Joe Manchin for trying to stay alive in a state that you can't carry counts. I have great, but he's not going to be a Democratic nominee or a factor in national Democratic politics. Now, he could be in no labels, which could, in effect, take some people who can't stand Trump but can't stand Democrats and it, it, but maybe might vote for us. I, I, don't think, I, think that, I don't know the happy ending of no labels. I understand the whole thing, but I don't think in terms of national democratic politics, Senator Manchin wouldn't be that big a factor. He probably if he ran no labels, but he's got his own politics and they're not easy. At all. I
0: mention him only because he's one of the kind of wish casting fan fiction type stories that feel like are happening right now in the conversation. Another one of them is about Kamala Harris. There's a lot of people who are saying, you know what, we're stuck with Joe Biden. What if we changed out Kamala Harris? What if Biden dumped Kamala Harris and took a vice presidential candidate who was more exciting to the base? What do you make of that? Why are people throwing out that idea? Is there anything to it at all?
1: Well, first of all, if you change with Harris, there are people in the base that, that really like her. Secondly, it's a little bit unfair because the president's approval rating is like 41. Well, the vice president can't go any higher, much, so she has a kind of a ceiling of 41. So she understands, but I, I don't think that's, that we can flush all that out. What I'd like to see is her and about five or six other people Start running to acquire delegates and be on TV and be on your own and see what you can do and how good your ideas are to stand up. But I think to some extent she's being defined by being in administration. And maybe she, her approval is 35, and you say that's not very good, but she couldn't be any higher than 41 if she was perfect. But come on, I mean, when but, she speaks, it's like Veep. Well, I, to you... Sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. That's the way... To you, I'm, some young person came to me and said that, that, that really... I, and, you know, some of that... And I, I don't, I'm not saying it in your case or in different cases, but I went through this with Hillary. Every time a female gets big in national politics, they get accused of shrieking or, or you know, yeah. being Woo. fingernails on the blackboard. So I... I, I Maybe she's not the greatest public speaker in the world, but a lot of the stuff that's been heaped on her, I think, is telling. Some of it is stereotyping, and every time I see that with a female politician, it's always fingernails on a blackboard. And I don't know because I'm a male. So, I
0: think I might be among the last people that would be turned off by a powerful woman politician, considering that I am a woman and gay. Right. I'm just saying... I, I don't I, say
1: you were turned off by her or turned off by a powerful woman politician. I'm just saying that sometimes voters, and we know this, you know, if, if I just take a, a vote of female, if I take Sue Jones and Joe Johnson... And that certain things that just the male or female political science knows that, that certain qualities that just will get attributed to you based on your gender. And I don't know this, very, but it does seem to be, I, I never hear about males talking in a shrieky voice. So I, but but I'm, not say, I'm not saying that you've been Do you think she's a good politician? I'd be fair. I, not, she's not one of the all-time greats, no. <laughs> but... but The only thing that I know her, her presidential campaign, was she wanted to run for president in the worst possible way, and she succeeded. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people run for president and don't do very well. Biden ran for president and didn't do very well. I I mean, failure is, to politics, would, Air is to life. I mean, you, you, you but I, I, I'm, I'm, get off of this, but I, I'm, I think she's not fulfilled her potential.
0: Well, let's talk about a happier subject, which is Donald okay. Trump. Um, <laughs> so tr- Trump is currently polling at 55%. The next closest candidate is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, I think at 14%, right around there. Every indictment seems to make him more popular among his base. Is there any scenario in which you see one of these other candidates in the race
1: unseating Trump? All right. So MAGA was there before Trump. The idea that people were under assault from immigrants, from people of color, from you know, whatever, all right, it was always a feeling in that we're losing the country. Trump came in... And stoked that up, that, a feeling that already existed. So the whole Republican Party is, I'm sorry, I mean, Lauren Bobit, Ken Paxton, great. You know, so we really want to talk about Kamala Harris as being the problem? I mean, next to Lauren Boebert, she's Joan of Arc. Right?
0: I feel like I'm at a rally. Okay, so the Republican Party, magnified, but again, to the question, is there anyone in the race that you just as a political strategist that you think has a chance of unseating Trump?
1: Right now, no. But he's in such legal jeopardy. If a jury comes back, that will affect people. And you're starting to see when things move. Uh, Lennon once said, history goes decades with nothing happening. And then history goes weeks with decades happening. All right. And, uh, okay. So I'll quote it So so when things start to move, like in Iowa, and I was looking at something, he's at 42 in New Hampshire. Well, 42 is not that great a number for a former president in their own party. Honestly, in a normal year, you would see a sitting president in their own party in New Hampshire be a lot higher than that. So I'd be an idiot if I didn't say the most likely outcome is that the Republicans nominate Trump. But, you know, DeSantis is the greatest disaster I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Y'all see the latest story? I agree he with kicked that. Tucker Carlson's dog. <laughs> what? I mean, he got, so he went to... The, Michael Wolf has a story that DeSantis decided he wanted to go see Tucker and Susie Carlson. I know, well, he to do crossfire. with of my kids went to school together. And they're dog people. And DeSantis kicked one of the dogs. I guess he ate his, with his fingers, too. I mean, he. What do you I mean, you th- that, there's something wrong with that boy. He, 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 I I, think he, I don't think he's potty trained, to tell you the truth.
0: What do you think was the most foolish thing he did, sort of looking back at his candidacy
1: so far? Was it the war he, with Disney? So there's this woman, her name is Susie Wiles. Actually, her dad was Pat Summerall, who, who some of you guys will remember as a big sports fan. And she literally made DeSantis his career. She got him elected to Congress, and she got him elected governor. And then Mrs. DeSantis knocked her off. Bad move. She went down to Mar-a-Lago. And all of this stories on DeSantis is coming from Susie Wiles. You talk to any reporter that she's in on everybody's speed dial. She's leaking the pudding story. She's leaking every story that there is, and she's just sticking pins in DeSantis's voodoo doll. <laughs> it, it, you know, in, in life, I always tell people, enemies of necessity. That's okay. You got to have those. Those are people. If you're running for an office and somebody else is, well, be, be careful about enemies of choice. In DeSantis, in Casey DeSantis made a bad decision because she knows, you know, all the private flights. She knows what's on the state dime. And she knows she's got every journalist in the country on her cell phone. That, that's what's going on with bro DeSantis. He's getting cut up and he don't know which way to turn.
0: <laughs> a lot of never Trump Republicans really are looking to Virginia, to the governor, Glenn Youngkin, who has not entered the race, who shows basically no signs of entering the race, but are convinced that he is going to. Are you hearing anything about that? Do you think that's a possibility? Uh,
1: well, uh, it, there's a big, big election coming up in Virginia in November. And because their state house, the, the Republicans have the House 52 48, the Democrats have the Senate 22 to 18. And there is enough in play. To make a difference, Yunkin is going all in, but the Democrats go all in. But I, I would point this out: the Democrats have not lost an election since Dobbs. Anyway, we just won two last Tuesday night, and and they were really trying to, you know, flip the Senate. And you got big race in Mississippi that. You know, I'd call a Democrat an underdog, but not overwhelmingly. A big race in Kentucky, I'd probably call the incumbent Democrat a little bit of a favorite, not overwhelmingly. Louisiana doesn't look all that promising for Democrats. Virginia state legislative races, you're watching the election returns that night, watch that one closely.
0: Let's talk about the legal issues hanging over Donald Trump, obviously facing four indictments, and want to know from you... Which of those do you think is the most serious? And then separate some, sort of from the moral and ethical and legal matter of it, do you think politically it matters to him?
1: Let's hit the second question first. As of now, it doesn't matter. He said that he could shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't matter. Remember that he was found in a court of competent jurisdiction to have raped someone on Fifth Avenue. Yep. Understand that. The judge said by any definition what the jury found is Trump raped this woman. It didn't matter. So I guess if, I don't, if rape don't count in this country, I don't know what does, but I, I was you know, raised to think that's not a very good thing. So when a criminal defendant, potential defendant comes in, the first thing you look for is defenses. I cannot think of a single defense he has on Mar-a-Lago. I mean, understand, they said— he took this stuff it came to him and he said, this doesn't belong to you, and he wouldn't give it back. Then they wrote him a letter, and he wouldn't give it back. Then they sent a subpoena, and he wouldn't give it back. And then he, hide, he hid the documents under the subpoena. Then he showed the documents that were to someone else. What's the defense? You don't own it. If I leave here and I take this chair... And I'll say that it's mine because I sat in it. <laughs> and uh, Omni people go going to say, no, you don't, that's not yours. Give it back to us. And they act nice and they tried everything they could. It's going to be interesting to see if we ever find out why some people say that he's a pack rat. So I, I go to the jewelry store and I take a Rolex. Says, why are you doing this? I'm a pack rack. I just like to have, <laughs> I really, you know. I I mean, I just don't—I have no earthly idea how he's going to defend this. And I don't think they do either, to tell you the truth.
0: Let's talk about President Biden's son, Hunter, just received his own indictment after the very public collapse of his plea deal. If the case does end up going to trial, how much of a headache, a distraction will that be for the president? Could it seriously damage his chances of re-election?
1: Well, okay— First of all, the Republicans have opened an impeachment inquiry. Which you said you're excited about. I, I, I could not be more excited. I, I, I just, and, but only if they call witnesses. Okay. Because let me tell you, Jim Coma is not a very smart man. In fact, I think he's pretty, I think he's pretty stupid. Okay. Jim Jordan, G-Y-M, Jim Jordan, not very smart. Dan Goldman, smart. Delegate Plaskett, smart. Jamie Raskin, smart. They will eat their ass alive. (laughs) Alive. And remember, when you call the witness, the other guy gets to play. And Dan Abrams, who's not hardly a liberal, and he's right, there has not been one iota of evidence to say that President Biden's got any of this money. Now, if you want to say... Hunter Biden did some really stupid things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you know, going making eighty thousand dollars a month while your your dad is vice president from a energy company. And you, but I can't tell you that what he he lied on a gun application. It's the only time that Republicans never like yes. ever were against a gun app, but <laughs> but he did. <laughs> and they've investigated this guy for what? Biden. How many years? And... You know, you, you just got to live with it, but it's not any any evidence whatsoever. And, and I personally wish open hearings, call witnesses, let's air this thing out.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the state of the Democratic Party.
1: All right.
0: Democrats, as we touched on earlier in this conversation, used to be very much perceived as the party of the everyday ordinary American. Right. There's a book that's about to come out from John Judas and Ray Teixeira, Called "Where Have All the Democrats Gone?" and it's right. about sort of the defection of working-class voters from the party. Reflect a little bit on how that happened. How did it come to be that the Democratic Party is the party of educated, elite, somewhat older voters? Right.
1: Oh, not. I wouldn't say older, but, but definitely, uh, 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 definitely become much more of an educated party over the course of this century. That that's true. Uh, become a you know, less of a presence in places in Mid America. That is definitely true. Some of it was our own making, which is true. And you know, the one of the best books that I can recommend on this it was done by, believe it or not, a Berkeley academic by the name of Holly Russell Harshia, who did a book called Strangers in Their Own Land, it's about people in southwest Louisiana, same thing as southeast Texas and how they became Trump people. Another one is, I uh, can't think of the name of it, but it's by Wisconsin academic uh, Kathy Kramer on non-college voters in northern Wisconsin. But a lot of this is cultural. A lot of it is Democrats gave off airs that we thought that we were like smarter than other people, and people and Republicans did a good, a good job of exploiting that. Now, Having said that, again, I point out we had not lost an election in, since June of last year. If you look at, and you're right, you could say we have all kind of internal contradictions within the party, although our caucus votes down the line since Pelosi's been speaker and now Hakeem is speaker. But understand this. If you're a Democrat, you know this. You're really in a coalition. And I like coalitions. I really do. I don't want to be in the frickin' cult, all right? I don't want want my entire life to be defined by my own ideology. But if you're in a coalition of nature, you have to be a little uncomfortable because the bigger your coalition is, the more things that come up that will make you uncomfortable. And what we did have is a significant number of working-class people— it, more specifically, we're working class whites that we have lost ground considerably. However, and people point out, well, West Virginia used to vote Democratic, or you, you know, any other state that used to have Democratic senators from the Dakotas. True, and New Jersey and California used to vote Republican. I mean, it, it, it's, you had one trade-off, and in one sense, it wasn't a good trade-off. In the other sense, but it was a trade-off we should have never have made and we allow a small part of our party people that describe themselves as quote progressive liberal which is about 10% of the entire Democratic Party compared to 65% of the Republican Party that thinks the ele- election was stolen or that the earth is 5,000 years old our <laughs> uh, climate was some hoax out of a PR person in Beijing all right, I, this, this stuff that we get tagged with is kind of silly, All Right? I never saw a Democrat that ever wanted to burn a book. And the day I do, then I'll reconsider. But, they, you know, well, I, these sons of bitches have banned more books this year than any year in American history. And they fired some teacher from Galveston or somewhere for reading Annie Frank. But I got to worry about some. Body talking about Latinx, which no one even knows it was. It's, not, it's just kind of a goofy thing they came up with. But why do Democrats pay such a price for 10% of the eccentric people in our party, and the Republicans don't pay a price for the 65% of the people in their party that are just out and out nuts? I'll
0: just push back on none of the characterizations. I can't compete with that, but couldn't, couldn't the reason be that that 10% has an unbelievable amount of cultural power in America? They control publishing houses, Hollywood studios, media companies, all of the sense-making institutions of American life.
1: So that's the difference. I, I, first of all, I, I, honestly, and I think you too, I, I, I was very outspoken. It's over. What's they, over? They, they, it's over. The, cult, the identity left has lost. They're sitting there sprouting around in some art museum <laughs> all right, or some foundation. It's, no one wants to defund the freaking police. No one wants to call people necks or any of that nonsense. The, my greatest is cultural appropriation. So if you come to New Orleans and you walk out and you have a sweatshirt and says, I, I got bourbon face on shit street... Am I going to say, oh, my God, you appropriated my culture? How dare you say that? <laughs> or if I come to Austin and I go like I did last night and eat brisket and coleslaw and baked beans and God knows, you don't say, well, you're not supposed to be eating that. You're not from Texas. I, I, it's, it, it all became so idiotic. So the term, let me give you a little history here. because The term woke. First time that, it, at least with my limited research skills, came up was by a guy named Lead Belly Ledbetter who was a jazz musician who was born in, right outside of Shreveport. I think he died in a jail in Houston. And the f- term woke was in a song telling black people in Texas and Louisiana that you should be aware in your interactions with the police, which I think would be sound advice. I, I wasn't a black person in Houston. In 1925, but if I got stopped by the cops, I, I would have, as they say in the Marine Corps, situational awareness. <laughs> and then, like everything else, some over-educated white people got a hold to it and started being made woke into some entirely different word than it was supposed to be. And, that's, and then and that causes us, you know, 20 house seats. They can appropriate, but they won't appropriate. But I think that everybody knows that this whole thing was not a very good idea, and most people have moved on for it. Now, if you, Yeah, if you're some deputy art instructor at some underattended, overpriced college, oh, man, they'll run your ass out. But They don't can fool with you, if any power. They don't can fool with me. They don't can fool with Bill Moore. All right? They're just not. And they find... And, I, when I was at LSU, I had, was going to class, and somebody called and said that one of my students had got in, I don't know, UT Law School, I forgot what he was. So I stopped at the wine store, and I get a $25 bottle of champagne and some champagne flutes at Rags. So I said, okay you're not going to be, get out of one of my classes unless you know how to properly open a bottle of champagne. It's just, that, that's just something that you have to know in life. And so I had the student come up. I said, okay, now, don't put the wine bottle away from your face because you don't want to lose your eye over this. And Now take the foil off. Now take the wire. Okay, now what you're going to do is you're going to take the cork in the bottle and you're gonna, and don't we don't pop the cork and you just easily twist opposite ways. And then when the cork comes out, the sound you're looking for is the sigh of a satisfied woman, of which has been, and they broke me up for this. <laughs> okay? And I'm like, oh God, I mean, I'll never say that again. I mean, but that is the way that people have been teaching people to open champagne bottles. Forever. So I guess I would change now to I don't know a, I, don't, I I hadn't heard the sound of a satisfied woman been for, been 50 years, but <laughs> 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 but I guess I'd say like a, a you know a mild burp. <laughs> okay. So I got I got written up, and I, you know I said well maybe it's time for me to move on to do something else in my life. <laughs>
0: After the break, James Carville takes questions from the crowd and then indulges us in a fan favorite lightning round, in which he reveals who he thinks Lauren Boebert should date next and what he thinks is his wife's worst opinion. Stay with us. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery right now? Full? Drained? Maybe at Half-Life? It's easy to spread ourselves too thin, especially with spring right around the corner. What's the right amount of socializing for you? How do you recharge? Do you thrive around lots of people or do you think you need more alone time? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that works for you and that doesn't leave you drained. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash honestly today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot honestly. Okay, we want to take some questions from you guys. You can stand up at the microphones that are situated in these middle aisles, and then at the end, we're going to end with a quick lightning round. Please try and keep it to a tight question, if you don't mind.
1: Yes. Can you speak to the role of abortion rights in the upcoming election? Last August, I was the only National Democrat to go to Kansas. And once I got there, I could feel... I didn't think it was gonna end up like this, all right? And what's happened is, there's been, and I say Democrats have not lost an election since this. I mean, this issue is like golden, like nothing I've seen in politics, and you're having this, well, maybe we can be this, and now they're trying to figure out, and Trump's attacking DeSantis on this, and they're all falling apart, because they had presented this issue as so simple, and there's nothing simple at all. You know, my, I just said my, my, my daughter just had a, you know, my first grandson. But there's nothing. And, of course, living in Louisiana, you know, the first thing she got pregnant, you know, the first thing I did is called the head of the largest hospital and say, who is the best lawyer on this in Louisiana? Because if you're having, if somebody in your family having a baby in a place like Louisiana, Texas, you better hire you a lawyer in case something. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that something like to think your daughter tells you pregnant, and you have your first grandchild, and your first instinct is, we've got to get a lawyer. Yeah. Now, we got one. We didn't need it, thank God. But that's the real effect of this, this, this stuff. Has. Thank you for your question. Let's go ahead. Yes, I guess we'll go to you.
0: Yeah, I was wondering, if a solid Democrat presidential candidate wanted to initiate a primary,
1: how would they do that, and how could a Democrat voter help that process? Each, like the New Hampshire primary, you, you go and they have a the secretary of state, the legislature makes certain requirements. I, I don't, you got to pay a filing fee. You might have certain signatures. But yet, when you run for, for president, it's 50 separate elections. All right. There's no national, there's no office of, of national filing where you go in and do it. like you're going to run for Travis County, you know, be the ju- they call them judges, the head of the, the like in Texas, we call them police jurors, but everybody's got their own sort of name for it. But uh, so you, you'd, you'd, there's a lot of rigmarole you'd have to go through, but it, it's not so familiar, but nobody could do it. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I guess as old as I am, you, you learn to seldom say never. No, you can't say never say never because you just said never. <laughs> right? But all things are possible. That doesn't make them probable, but possible.
0: In the media, there's not much coverage of the possibility of President Trump going to prison or fleeing the country to avoid that. And in the extradition treaties with some of these countries, such as Hungary, which is a country that he's been uh, saddling up toward, um, there's an, ex- an exception to the extradition treaty and it's if, you, if the person is fleeing because of political
1: persecution
0: the two words that he uses every time
1: all the time right. so th- do you, you think you.
0: it's a possibility th- yeah, that he I, could try?
1: I, I, thank you, a lot of people thought it's actually I, I think it's the UAE that we don't have an extradition treaty with but if I were him I'd go to take the top floor to Ritz carlton in Moscow. Now the danger is if Putin dies and gets knocked off, they're gonna come get you. But I- I'm serious. If I was Trump and I knowing the legal jeopardy that he's in, I'd get the hell out. I-, I I would really think about blowing this pops in. All right. I- I'm serious. I think I think your question is relevant. And when you, st- you start looking at the accretion of stuff, yes, he could win. Assume the courts are alive and apart himself, which is not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee he's going to win. He still can't do anything about Georgia. And he's still got all this stuff in Manhattan. And he's a career criminal. And you know what career criminals do? They commit crimes. Yes. <laughs> That's the nature of what they are. And they'll keep pursuing him. But he's in a... Bucket load of legal trouble. The people around him are in a bucket load of political trouble. I mean, look at Rudy Giuliani. The guy's broke, and he's going to be broker. My idea for him is to date Lauren Bobert.
0: <laughs> they could go see Beetlejuice a the second time. Yeah, right. Yeah, go ahead.
1: God, man, that, that was some... And that morning, Barry, Washington loves the story. that inside, So political wrote a story about it how she's moderating and becoming an effective legislation. And that night, because Washington loves the story about how they civilize people. People come here, and then they see us, and, you know. James, in 92, it was, it's the economy, stupid. In 24, what is the Democratic catch line? That's very, it's a very straight question. You know, something, you remember, it was the first thing was change versus more the same. Second thing was economy stupid. Third is don't forget health care. I think what people feel, and I think the economy's good. You can't, it's kind of hard not to target at. But people don't, that they're not starting to feel it yet. Now I, I, is it because they think that the president is too old? They can't think beyond that? Is it because the gas prices are high that It cuts into whatever gains they might have from some income growth? some moderating inflation. I don't know that I know the answer to that. But I guess if it was Biden v. Trump, you know, we can't go back. I mean, forge ahead or anything kind of forward-looking. But as of right now, you don't get enough credit for the economy. Now, the hard thing you do in politics is you're in a meeting and says, we're not getting credit for economy. And somebody says, well, you know, actually, well, unemployment raised the lowest expense since 1969 or, you know, the, the, et cetera, et cetera. And so, well, if we don't take credit for it, how are we going to get credit? But then if you go out and you tell people the economy good is good and they don't think it's good, they say, well, that person doesn't even know what's going on in my life. How can he go there and say the economy is good when I'm working two jobs, I'm, I'm paying $4 a gallon for gas, no one knows the right answer to the right time. So what the president's people would say is Reagan was at eighty-two in September of eighty-three, or at forty-two, and Clinton was at such and such in September of ninety-five, Obama in September two thousand eleven. But right now, the perception of people—I don't—I don't know if it's the actual economy or people just looking for some kind of change, but. That's just where we are. And it's, you can Statistically, we're in a good economy. is tough not to convince people. Go ahead. Yes, sir. You guys are great, by the way. Um, so I would just point out that Biden came out of that race with all that talent that you were talking about. I'm not even someone who supported him in the primary, but he did come out of one of those. I share your, some of your concerns. But the thing that I would ask is, there's a lot of talk about who can win, but I'm concerned that The results are going to be such that they might not matter with what's going on in Wisconsin and other places. How much concern do you have that they figured out what went wrong last time, and they're going to try to get away with it this time with, you know, a lot of Republicans that did the right thing have been replaced by people who have committed to doing the wrong thing next time. So how much concern do you have about that? So Barry, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah,
0: see, I said, do you have any thoughts on that? They want to know your thoughts,
1: not mine. (laughs) They don't give so, a shit about me. So, <laughs> right, rightly so. Of course, in Wisconsin, the Democrat wins a Supreme Court seat by 13 points, and they want to impeach it before she takes takes office. Look at what they did to redistricting. Look, I mean, and then they, they you had three votes for an independent legislative theory in the Supreme Court. I mean, how many how, how many Supreme Court justices away from that? I think. The most significant event in American politics of my lifetime, and I was born when Franklin Roosevelt was president, was Bush v. Gore in 2000. Because I just said, we can get away with it. We're just going to stop a goddamn vote count. And you know what these liberals are going to do? They just go, whoo, they're going to jump in holly, they're going to go around in a circle, and the hell with them, they'll just all fall in line. And guess what happened? We took it, they stopped the vote count that Gore was going to win, Without any doubt, they were going to order a statewide vote. And then they said, well, we'll just gerrymand every seat. There's nothing they're going to do about it. Then they said, we'll, we'll just do away with voting rights. And John Roberts in 2013 said to, to the absolute shock of anybody losing lives in this country, there's no racism left in America. Oh, really? Jesus Christ, man. Do you really believe that? Then they, they come with Citizens United and just let this... You know, the Koch brothers turned the goddamn country over to them, and they kept doing one thing after another. And people said, now, I think the Dobbs thing finally lit at a cooking jar, kind of slammed on them. But it, it had not happened since then. And, you know, Bush v. Gore, we started a war. Do you know that from 1994 to 2004, assault weapons were illegal in the United States? Did you know you couldn't buy one? All right. And how many people would be alive? To, you know what people do in 1996? Hunting, going fishing, going to target practice, marksmanship. They're blowing the gun cups. You just couldn't buy an assault rifle and go shoot up 40 kids with it. And that's the truth. And they didn't care because the people I think like the people in this room think we were not tough enough. We were not active enough. We didn't say, no, you can't do this in this country. You can't stop a freaking vote count in the middle of it because, you know, we were taught to <laughs> salute the flag and move on and just watch it. If we if thing goes wrong, the Constitution of the United States is not going to be a factor i got to hey. stand up on my Um hi. hi, James. First, I, I want to say uh, welcome back to Texas, oh, well, and we're looking you. forward to joining you next year in Hookem. Hook um <laughs> We don't play y'all next year. So we came. Y'all we're, owe us a game in Baton Rouge, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're ready. Okay, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, um, As someone who has worked on campaigns before, the Democrats would say to each other, we just have to get out the vote and now I'm wondering, do you think that that is still the truth, or are we even past just getting out the vote? That's a, It's a very good question. And wouldn't we, you know, so you see this, and it's always, I, I can give you, it's election day, and it's whatever, okay? And now we're, we're going to go to... Uh, to James and, and sitting outside in, uh, outside in suburban Philadelphia. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you what, it's all about turnout. You know, you talk to the Republicans and they say it's about turnout. You talk to the Democrats about turnout. Well, we went to a voting booth in <laughs> North Philadelphia and they said they were at 45% of the turnout in the election before, but we went to. Of course, it's about who votes in what proportion. And the problem that we have right now is black voters are not turning out. And this is over a series of elections, very underreported, And under 30 are not that excited. A Democrat can't win without robust black turnout and robust youth turnout. And right now, we're not getting it. So in 1992, there are 3,100-plus county or county equivalents in the United States. So you have counties, we have parishes, some people have independent cities. Of that 3,100-plus in 1992, 96 were supermajority. That meant that one party carried it by 75 or 25 or more, more than 50. In 2020, there were almost 1,400. All right, which shows show you that the geographical polarization is something, but also how of that 1,400, the, the ones that are Democratic, how they turn out compared to the, the Republicans is, is is a big issue. And that's why enthusiasm is such a, clearly should be a part of strategy everywhere. But thank you for the question.
0: Okay, one last question. Thank you. Yes, keep it really short and then we're going to do a one-minute lightning round where we're going to ask about Mary Madeline and her worst viewpoints. Yes.
1: All right. So I keep hearing this narrative that we're not having a primary. There's no one running. But there are, in fact, people running. And I'm not just talking about RFK Jr. Marianne Williamson is running. And this, this election really is about a fight for democracy. So why do the Democratic Party, why do they keep trying to sell us the idea they're going to save us from democracy by preventing a Democratic primary? If Okay, maybe she, she's not the one. Maybe yeah. Biden is the one. Can I give you a job? Would <laughs> <laughs> you like yes, to come actually, work yeah. for me? Yeah, yeah. So we should I, have a primary. Very, democracy. Thank yeah. you for framing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, so what we, we, want, we got to give people, you know, this is my kind of message is patriotic people will come out and vote just to stop the end of the Constitution, but it'd be better if, we, they, we, if people were excited about it. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Okay, we're doing a quick lightning round. Sorry, we couldn't get to all of the questions. James, very short answers, one sentence. What is your wife's worst opinion?
1: My wife's what worst opinion? Her worst opinion. Was thinking that the Iraq war was any good. What
0: is what is one thing she has changed your mind about?
1: Um, <laughs> uh, I... You, you know, always bringing a gift when you go to somebody's house. <laughs> um, given me kind of an appreciation I never had before for, like, spatial issues. So if my wife, let me tell you this, when she dies, of course, and in, 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 let's assume there's a heaven. And you get to do it in heaven, what makes you happy. St. Peter's going to say, he wants you to move furniture between now and eternity. <laughs> Just move this around and move that around. And every time I turn, I got my chat and I watched my games in and I got everything by it. And I sit in the chairs in a different place. Said, well, you didn't have enough back there. Okay, fine. And I, I've just learned that wherever something is today is not going to be that at a bar. What is the best book you read recently? The book I'm reading right now called The Identity Trap by Yasha Monk. And it really deconstructs this identity politics, which I think was a, a giant mistake—not just politically, but a giant mistake. Your, American- your identity will never, to me, will never triumph your philosophy or your quality as a person. In, but
0: your favorite American president of all time?
1: Well, uh, Clinton second, Lincoln first by far.
0: Okay, one word, one single word for the following people: Donald Trump.
1: Go to jail.
0: One word: Joe Biden.
1: Man, one word. Think one about, word. Think, think about it. I guess there's three. <laughs> okay.
0: The Ramaswamy.
1: Well, I gotta tell you. So here's somebody. He's everything. <laughs> he's everything that they like. He's got a name you can't pronounce. He went to Harvard. He's a tech bro. He's a freaking idiot. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm gonna I, go with idiot. Cornell West. Dangerous. Chris, Very dangerous.
0: Chris Christie.
1: D- dedicated. Josh Shapiro. Potentially Clinton-esque talent.
0: Wow. Last question. If you had to vote right now, money on the table, who's gonna win in 2024? Who's it gonna be?
1: Well, I say the Democrats, it, well, and my rationale is we're just not losing elections. And I don't know, of course, if something happened dramatically between now and 2024. But, you know, I am a horse degenerate, and we do pay some attention to past performances. But I mean, right now, uh, if we were to nominate, you know, we would have an open process, we'd get 54. I mean, the country doesn't, they don't like Dobbs, they don't like the Republican authoritarianism, they don't like this stuff. But remember, you got Cornell West, and you got no labels, and it's not, it's not Matched up one to one. It's dang. It's dangerous. I'll tell you that, Barry. It's dangerous.
0: James Carville. All of you. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Thanks for listening. If you like this conversation, if you felt like you got to know James Carville in a new way, if his ideas annoyed you, if they worried you, if this conversation made you question your assumptions or consider a different point of view, that's all great. That's what we're trying to do here on this show. Share this episode of Honestly with your friends and family and use it to have an honest conversation of your own about 2024. Last but certainly not least, if you want to support Honestly, there is just one way to do that. Go to thefp.com and become a subscriber today. See you next time.